Morning, everybody. Nice to see you today. So I've heard it said that following Jesus is like football. Have you ever thought about that? They say that a football game is 22 men desperately who need rest and 55,000 people who desperately need exercise. I think that's about right. You guys have a team in the game today? Yeah, Patriots? Falcons? Go Niners! See, what I really believe is that following Jesus is much more like riding a bicycle. And I'm going to tell you why as we spend the next few minutes together. How's that? I find it a little bit ironic and a little bit uh, intimidating and challenging that we just sang a song about crashing. Not really what I want to think about in times like this. But anyway, good morning. Nice to see you today. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. Everybody doing okay? Do I have your incomplete and undivided attention for the next few minutes? All right, good. Awesome. I want to talk a little bit about what this looks like to follow Jesus. And uh, and really, I do want to talk about bicycles and how it works and how how does following Jesus really look like riding a bicycle? I, every year, I go away two or three times or so uh, to get on a little retreat just for myself, and uh, not just for purposes of myself, but I, I find my own spiritual benefit in it. I go away, and the uh, initial part of that time is just spent in prayer. My goal is to connect with God and to hear from Him, to let Him speak to me, let Him speak into my life, and then to reflect on who He is and what He's saying to me. And then I use that time also to just think through where are we heading as a church? What's coming next? What are we talking about these days? Those kinds of things. So I was just away a couple of weeks ago up in the mountains in Tahoe. Snow everywhere and I'm all warm and cozy inside. And <clears throat> I got started in the journey of this retreat and I started, I started with prayer. And so I'm like, God, what do you want to talk to me about? In my life, what do you want to say? What do you want to peel back? What do you want me to you know, think through? What do you want me to focus on? Whatever those things are. And really quickly and really clearly, I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to go back and refresh your memory of Colossians. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know that Colossians is one of the books of the Bible. Or if you're new to the Bible, you might think of it as one of the chapters of the Bible or something. But literally, it's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote it to a church in a little village called Colossae, which is in what is now Turkey. And he writes this letter to them, although he's never met them. But he's heard about their faith, and he's trying to encourage them in their faith. And so you can think about it like this. Paul has never met you either, but he's heard a lot about you, and he wants to encourage your faith. And so as, as the Lord's talking to me about Colossians, I'm like, oh, that, that's, you know, really helpful. When I was in high school, I had a youth pastor uh, who, in, you know, was always trying to encourage our faith. This was the guy in our, in our church down in Southern California where I grew up. This guy would be the counterpart today to Doug Roush. Right? Doug, are you in the house right now? He's getting coffee. <clears throat> Youth guy, not in time for the sermon. When he comes in, never mind when he comes in. Anyway, so my youth pastor who never missed church to get coffee, no. Um, he used to tell us, he's like, hey, if you really want to follow Christ, if you want Christ to shape your life, you've got to get scripture into your heart. You've got to get scripture into your life. You've got to you got to memorize it for one thing. And I'm like, oh, 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 I memorized the Bible when I was a little kid. You know, I had it like right in here. You know that one 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish and have everlasting life. i like, I know this. He's like, well, there's, that's good, but there's more. I mean, who knew? I didn't know at that time. And so he goes, yeah, if you really want to pursue Christ and you want to advance your journey with him, memorizing verses is fantastic. And that's why we teach children to do it. And that's why many of us who follow Jesus for a long time, we got a lot of those verses in our head. But he goes, what if you started learning chapters of the Bible? What if you let chapters of the Bible influence your life and influence your spirit? What would that do in you? And I'm like, it sort of, he sort of threw it down as a challenge. And I'm just a little bit competitive, and I'm like, I can do that. And so I did. I started memorizing chapters of Scripture. I memorized the Sermon on the Mount when I was in high school or early college. It was moving to me. It shaped me. And so then I'm reading through the Scriptures on my own years and years ago. And I came to this letter called the Letter to the Colossians. And it was amazing to me because it's all about Jesus. And I thought my limited understanding of the Bible, I thought the books that talked about Jesus were the Gospels called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they tell the story of Jesus' life. And, and, then, and they do, but that's all I thought it was in the Bible about Jesus. And then I get to Colossians, and it's just overflowing with amazing, beautiful things about who Jesus is and what he's done. And so I put it to memory 30 years ago. And it shaped me. See, that's what happens when you get into your heart. It shapes you. We're going to spend the next four weeks after today talking about the craft of Scripture. And how do we build that craft into our lives? When you get scripture into your heart, it shapes you. And so Colossians has done that for me. But when you memorize a book of the Bible, when you memorize anything, you got to review it or you lose it. And so, you know, the more scripture you have memorized, the more you got to review. And after a while, it piles up and it's hard to maintain everything. So when I'm having my retreat and I'm hearing the Lord say Colossians, Colossians, I'm like, oh, I love that one. But I don't remember it that well anymore. So I got it back out and I started reading through it and thinking through it and praying through it. I'm like, this is beautiful for me. This is, this is just helpful to me. And then I remember that I've got, you know, I, we lay out our, um, our messages here at Lakeside. We lay them out usually in series. So last year we did, a, we did a series all the way through the book of Romans. And right now we're working through different series going through the well-crafted life. But we had this one date on the calendar which we didn't schedule out. I just left it open in case there was something I wanted to talk about. So I'm like, oh, let's talk about Colossians. So I want to tell you some things out of the book of Colossians and uh, describe a little bit about who Jesus is, a little bit about what he's done, and then what does it look like to follow him. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you, why don't you open it up uh, to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some on the chairs next to you. Uh, if you've got your smartphone, you can open up the uh, Uversion Bible app, and we've got notes in there under the section called Events, and you can follow along with us in, in that. I'm going to do it a little bit differently today because uh, usually we use the New International Translation. Uh, there are several English translations. One is the New International. That's the, the translation that's in the, in the Bibles that are on the chairs. That's what most of us bring to Lakeside because that's what we use most of the time, but when I was memorizing this when I was younger, I was using the New American Standard Translation back then, and I love it, and I want it in my head this way, so I'm gonna, it's going to sound a little different if you're using the New International Version. Okay, if, you, if you're using the phone app, the Uversion app, that's the New American Standard Translation today, uh, just to keep you up with where we are. Okay, is that good? All right, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul is writing, and he's talking about God, and he says this. 
For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things uh, on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. That's Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. And in that passage, it tells us some beautiful things about who Jesus is. Can I just describe some of these for you? And if you're a follower of Jesus, just wrap your head around these things that are true of your Savior. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're just investigating who he is, then this will help you think through the things that the Bible says, this is true of Jesus. First thing. Chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's fantastic. Don't you ever wish you could just see God? I mean, it's a whole lot easier to relate to somebody that you can see, somebody who's got skin on. It's like God is invisible. How do you relate to him? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You go, yeah, but I can't see him either. True, but his story is all the way through Scripture. The Old Testament points forward to him. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they tell his life story. And everything after that tells what he's been doing since then in his thing called church. He is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You will find, when you look at Jesus, you'll find exactly what God is like. Jesus didn't pretend to do things on earth that he would never do as God, that he would never do in heaven. He did exactly on earth what he would do if he were in heaven in the same circumstances. He's the image of the invisible God. He goes on, he says, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, that doesn't mean he was created first. Like, there was God, and then he created Jesus. It doesn't mean he was created. It means he's the priority over all creation. That's what the word means. He has the primary role of everything over creation. And in fact, all things, he says, were created by him and for him. Think about that for a minute. Everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Yosemite Valley was created by Jesus and for Jesus. So when you go in there, and you go up in the valley and you go, this is amazing. Jesus goes, I know, I love it. 
You go, you go to the Pacific Ocean and all the west coast, the coastline up and down the Pacific Ocean, Jesus made that. It was made by him and for him. And look around the people in your row. They were created by him and for him. Your brother-in-law. By him and for him. Your mother-in-law. By him and for him. That might change the way you relate to people. Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the church. Now, often in our Western way of thinking, we think of the head as the brain. So we're like, Jesus is the head. He makes it all, you know, follow the right direction. He thinks for it. And those things would all be true. But when the Bible talks about something as the head, it usually talks, it, talks about it not in terms of thinking about the rest of the body, but loving the rest of the body. Jesus is the head. We are the body. He loves us. That's what the head is engaged in when, he, when Paul writes this. Jesus loves his church. It's really interesting to me that Jesus is so passionate about his church, and sometimes we are so casual about his church. And sometimes we go through our spiritual life, and, and, and if following a Jesus is like riding a bike, sometimes, think about this, we, we go through our life, and Jesus loves the church, and we're casual about it. Like Jesus never misses a weekend with us. But, but sometimes we do, and, and sometimes often we do. And, you know, it's like, really? You go, I love Jesus, but, I'm, you know, church is okay. Well, Jesus loves it. Jesus loves every expression of his church. And, some, you know, do, does, does each expression of the church bug him? Probably every day. And yet he loves his church. Loves us passionately. He's the head of the church. He loves it. It says also in verse 18, he is the firstborn from among the dead. He has priority over every one of the rest of us who will someday rise from the dead. He's ahead of us. He's, he's over us. He has the primary role of those who are resurrected. Then verse 19, it says this, all the fullness, God decided that all the fullness would dwell in Jesus. That's a weird phrase. What do you mean all the fullness dwells in Jesus? Well, if you go down to chapter 2, verse 9, you'll see he expands that a little bit. He says, all the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus in bodily form. Again, you want to know who God is? You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. You'll find out exactly what God is like. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus in a physical form. Now, we've been talking to you for the last several months about what we call the well-crafted life. We, we're like, you know, following Jesus is living a well-crafted life. If you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you're, you're trying to live a well-crafted life. And so we said there's these five crafts we want you to focus on this year. Maybe pick one of them because it's hard to focus on all five at one time. You can do all five, but it's hard to focus on all of them. So we said, you know, pick one of those crafts, prayer, scripture, generosity, connection and service. Pick one of those and focus on it for a season. The one that I'm focusing on this season is a craft of prayer. And maybe if your craft that you've chosen to focus on this season is prayer, you can just pray chapter one. Start in verse nine. A little, little before what we started on today, I've been praying that prayer starting at verse nine for 30 some years. And then just praying through chapter one of Colossians. Your prayer might not even consist of asking for anything. You just pray that prayer. 
it would shape your relationship with Christ. Beautiful things that Paul tells us about who Jesus is. But he also tells us some beautiful things about what Jesus has done. So grasp this. Here's some of the things that Jesus has done for us. Verse 13 says, he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. You're like, when does that start? Because it feels pretty dark these days. Just because you live in a dark world doesn't mean you have to live in darkness. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of light. Or Or verse 13, it says, he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He transferred us. Anybody ever had a transfer? Like a work transfer? Yeah, did you ask for it? Or it just came? Oh, you asked for it, right? You were living in Barstow and they said, we'll transfer you to Folsom. You're like, I'm in. Any any Barstonians? Sorry, I mean, sorry. I'm sure it's lovely this time of year. He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's amazing. Darkness to light. That ought to change everything for us. All right, how many of you are watching the game today? <laughs> how many of you are watching the commercials? You're, how many of you are eating during the game, watching during the commercial? Yeah, okay, so I don't really know how this rolls out. There's, there's a little football game going on this afternoon. You might have heard about it, Super Bowl. There's two teams playing. There's the Atlanta Falcons, and there's the New England Patriots. Right, so we got that established. The coach of the New England Patriots is a man named Bill Belichick. And I've never met him. I don't really know him. But the experts in this kind of thing say he is one of the best, if not the best, coaches in the history of the game. Now, it's, there's been some great coaches in the history of the game. And so a lot of people are like, oh, he's, he's like great. And ever since he got to New England, they've been winners. He's been there like 15 or 18 years or something like that. And they've won, I don't know, four or five Super Bowls in that time. And they keep going back. They're just like, they're amazing. That's the kingdom of light. <laughs> Wait for it. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, we got Tom Brady right down here. You're going to be late to the game. Ma'am? <laughs> Bill Belichick has not always been the coach of the New England Patriots. You know where he was before he got there? Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Kingdom of Darkness. <laughs> Pathetic. They're terrible. They're just terrible. And they fired him. And he ends up in New England, kingdom of light. He got big transfer, kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now they're winners. How cool is that? And that's just a little tiny picture of what happens in your life when Jesus gets a hold of you and he takes you from the kingdom of darkness and he transfers you to the kingdom of light. That's amazing. That's a gift that he gave to us. We're going to do a baptism celebration in a few weeks, three weeks from now. 
We're going to have a Sunday night gathering here. We're going to have our, all of our regular worship gatherings that weekend, but then we're going to do a special Sunday night worship celebration. A lot of music, a lot of engaging uh, worship activities, and we're going to have a baptism. Every time we do baptism, the baptism is about people that are going under the water to signify they have died to the kingdom of darkness. And when they come out of the water, they are saying to everybody, I'm now transferred to the kingdom of light. And you can see it on their face when they come out of the water. It's amazing. If you haven't been baptized yet, you go, I follow Jesus, but I haven't been baptized. Man, let's get you Let's get you in that water and out of the water. Let's let you demonstrate to everybody that you've been transferred to the kingdom of light. Ride on a car. Let us know that's what you want to do. We'll get you involved in that. Be beautiful. Verse 14, it says, in him we have redemption. Means, means to be bought back from something. He redeemed us. He bought us back from something. And then, G and then Paul explains it a little bit. He kind of fleshes it out for us. He goes, in him we have redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever had to ask somebody for forgiveness? No. One. One all the time. <laughs> well, stop doing that thing. <laughs> no, no, we all... I don't know who that was. This, this is all this section, I guess, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, you're all culpable now. <laughs> I have to ask for it all the time. And I hate it every single time I have to do it. I mean, it's so hard. These are the hardest two words to say in the world. I'm sorry. Except for the other words, which are harder, which come after that, which, is, which are, will you forgive me? I don't, I don't like saying those. I've got a couple of friends who think it's a cool parlor game to ask everybody who's in the room. You know, they'll probably ask at the Super Bowl party today. They'll go, hey, what's your greatest regret? I'm not, uh, this is not fun. I'm not telling you that. Because all, what I find is all my greatest regrets come from times when I cause pain to somebody else. Some other human being. I regret those. They kill me. And every time I've done those things, I have to go back to that person and go, I am so sorry that I did this that hurt you. Will you forgive me? But if you've ever, if you've ever walked down that road where you've had to ask somebody, would you forgive me? And then they said yes. Don't you know the sweetness of that release? Don't you know the sweetness when they go, yes, I'll forgive you. And you know they mean it and everything is gone. Everything's been let go. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us when it says, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he's like, yes, I forgive you. There's nothing that brings freedom like that. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 17 says, and he holds everything together. Which is really wonderful because I can't. I can't seem to hold it all together. I can't even hold my own life together. I can't hold my own finances together. I can't hold my own family together. And Jesus holds it all together. And in him, verse 22, and in him you have been reconciled. He reconciled us. 
We had this broken relationship with God, and he reconciled us to him. By all these things that he described, he, he reconciled us to him. And now he calls us holy and blameless and beyond reproach. When I have caused pain in the life of someone else, even when they forgive me, that regret seems to hang around for a long, long, long time in my life. I always feel like there's reproach about me because of that pain that I caused somebody. And when Jesus forgives us and when he redeems us, he reconciles us to God and he says, I took all that reproach away. No shame. Yes, you did that thing. No shame. Yes, you did it over and over and over. No shame. Because you're forgiven. You're reconciled. You're redeemed. All these things that Jesus has done for us, if you would just take those things, and again, if your focus on the well-crafted life is in prayer, if you just prayed those things, it would revolutionize your life. In fact, I think there's enough, I think there's enough good stuff just in chapter 1 of Colossians. If you just had those things down in your head, it would give you so much fodder for your Christian life. It would just keep you moving. You'd just, you'd just go forward. Watch your foot, sir. <laughs> Christian life, following Jesus, it's just like riding a bike. Just got to keep moving forward with Christ. That's what it's about. And yet I've known some people in the course of my life, I, I find other people, it seems every year that go through this, I find people that are passionate and productive followers of Jesus, and then something happens and they stop following him. And I don't always know exactly what happened, but they stop following him. And, you know, some of you are passionate followers of Jesus, right? And you might tell me your story. You might share your story with your small group. You go, oh, I'm sold out for Jesus. I would never fall away from him. I would never fall off in my journey with Jesus. And yet sometimes those people do. Those people who said, no, it'll never happen to me. And it happens to them. And all of a sudden we don't see him anymore. Hi, Chuck. Sometimes, sometimes it's because we stop the activities of following Jesus. Sorry, that made me nervous too. Sometimes it's because we stop the activities of following Jesus, like engaging in scripture, engaging in prayer, engaging in generosity, engaging in service, engaging in connection. When we stop those things, we start to fall. Sometimes... We get off track with Jesus just because we sort of get distracted by m the mundaneness of it. I don't know if that's a word, but it's hard to think of the right word when you're on a bicycle. <laughs> you know, sometimes you've been following Jesus for a while. You go, I read that chapter before. You know, you, you might say, I already read Colossians before. I know what that one's about. All right. You might want to read it again. You go, yeah, but it's, it's like just the same. It's like driving on Interstate 5. <laughs> you ever noticed... Oh, I already did this row. Well, we're going again. <laughs> you ever notice that the only place I-5 looks good is on a map? That's because there's that spot about 20 miles north of Buttonwillow. It's horrible, man. There's nothing there. If you're from there, I'm sorry. 
I mean, I know I'm sorry I said that, but, you know. And sometimes in your spiritual life, you get in a spot where you go, you're just going through the desert, and it looks just like Buttonwillow. Or a few miles removed from Buttonwillow. That's hard. And you fall off. And sometimes it's not that you're going through a desolate place in your spiritual life. Sometimes you just get hurt, and you fall. You actually fall. You fall off the bike. You fall away from Jesus. Sometimes it's because somebody in the church caused you pain. You know, church is made up of human beings. I don't know why Jesus did that. But it's made up of human beings, and we hurt each other. And most of the time, we don't mean to, but we hurt each other. And when we get hurt, sometimes we get wounded so badly, we go, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this game anymore. I'm not doing this follow of Jesus thing anymore. And we fall off. And after a while, you don't see those people anymore. They don't hang around church anymore because it hurt them. See, following Jesus is a lot like riding a bike. You've got to keep making forward progress. But your faith doesn't come with a kickstand. And if you're not making forward progress in your faith in Christ, you're falling. And I look at the things that Paul's telling us in Colossians. It's like he's telling us these things because he doesn't want us to fall. He wants us to move forward in our faith. And so it matters that we keep on making forward progress. When I was reading Colossians a couple weeks ago on my retreat, and I'm reading all these beautiful things about who Jesus is and beautiful things about what Jesus does, there was another whole category of words in, in my reading that, I, that were shocking to me because I'd read them before. I memorized the book. I, I've been through the book of Colossians like literally, literally hundreds of times because the only way to memorize something like that is to say it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I've been through it hundreds of times. And yet I kept coming to these words a couple weeks ago. I'm like, look at that. Well, look at that. Look at this. Verse, chapter 1, verse 23, he says, this will all be true if you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. <clears throat> chapter 2, we didn't get to this part before, but chapter 2, verse 5, Paul's rejoicing over the Colossians. He's excited about their faith and he says, I'm rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. And then chapter 2, verse 7, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Hey, stop. How did you, you, you who are followers of Jesus, how did you receive Christ? Do you remember? How do you, okay, let's not do it how you did it. How did someone receive Christ? Do you like do a lot of good works? You got, I got to ride the bike. I got to keep pedaling. I got to make progress. I got to do it, do it, do it. Do you receive Christ by the things you do? No. You receive Christ how? By Faith. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. That's a word. Literally, it means so keep going in him. As you receive Christ Jesus by faith, keep going forward with him by faith. And then he goes on and says, being firmly rooted and now being built up and established in your faith just as you were instructed. See all the words there? Firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope, good discipline, stability of your faith, firmly rooted, built up, established. 
Paul has this amazing uh, drive for us to have a stable faith. I never thought about that before. I've been through this book so many times. See, there's scenery that you come across you didn't even know you're going to come across. And it matters to Paul because it matters to Jesus that you and I have a stable faith. Now, some of you will get into a place of despair right now because you go, my life is not stable. I'll never be stable in my faith. You may have all kinds of upheaval going on in your life, but the things Paul lays out for us suggest it's possible to have stability in your faith in Christ. That's what he wants for us. How do you get there? How do you live out a stable faith? How do you grow into and move forward in a stable faith? Number one, don't stop focusing on the crafts. Don't stop the craft of Scripture. Don't disengage from the craft of Scripture. You go, oh, I got that part. My dad, my dad would say to me when I was you know, a young student going into the ministry, my dad would go, I read the Bible once. Well, good job. You know, you might want to try that again. He's like, no, it's just north of Button Willow for me. Don't stop the craft of Scripture. Don't stop the craft of prayer. Don't stop the craft of giving. Don't, craft the, don't stop the craft of serving. Don't stop the craft of connecting. Don't stop those crafts. Because they're the things that build stability into our faith in Christ. If you want to crash, stop doing those things. If you don't want to crash, keep moving. Some of you will say, man, I remember when I used to be so inspired in my faith in Christ. I I used to be so encouraged and I was so passionate about moving forward, but that sort of died down for me. I don't seem to have that same passion that I used to have. There's a a book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, where the people of Israel were saying to God, oh, how tiresome it is. I keep doing it. I keep going through the same old motions. How tiresome it is. And sometimes we get into that kind of situation, and maybe it's because we've been writing for a long time, and we've been in the same patterns. We've been on the same route for a long time. Maybe we... Maybe you just need to keep going because, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're 20 miles north of Button Willow, you can be sure Button Willow's on the way. And somewhere after Button Willow, I think there's Kettleman City. And pretty soon you're going to reach the grapevine and windmills. And then you're going to land in L.A., turn right, you get to the Pacific Ocean. It's going to be beautiful there. You just have to keep going. Of course, there come times in your lives where you go, it's not the same as it used to be. Of course, it's not the same as it used to be, but it's not the same as it's going to be either if you keep going. Now, sometimes you've got to change course. Sometimes you've got to change routes. Sometimes you've got to just cut across to, inter- to Highway 99. They have towns there. Maybe you've, been, maybe you've been praying, you know, your whole journey as a follower of Jesus, you've been praying. And maybe for the last seven years, you've been praying at the same place in your living room. Early in the morning, you get up, you're disciplined about it, you're steadfast in it, but it sort of lost its punch for you. You know, you've been at the same prayer chair all those seven years. Maybe you need to find a new prayer chair. Maybe you need to pray at a different time. Maybe, you know, find different words to pray in your prayer. Maybe pray 
Colossians 1 instead of the prayer that you normally pray. Maybe that would just change the scenery for you. You go, I've been in the same grow group for nine years. Good that you love those people like that. That's amazing. Maybe you go, I've been, I've been, in, the same, I've been in the same ministry in Kids Fest for the last 11 years. Maybe you need to change course. And I'm not saying you should retire. Don't, don't go out of here and go out and find John Ingram, who's our director of uh, Kids Fest. Don't go out there at the, at the bar or the counter out there and go, hey, John, Pastor Brad said I should quit. I did not say you should quit. But you know what? If you've been working in Kids Fest in the same class as a helper for the last 11 years, maybe it's time to go to John or to one of the coordinators and go, you know, I think it's time for me to, to step this up a little bit. Maybe, I've been hearing this lesson for 11 years. Maybe could I teach it next time when it comes around? Could I volunteer to step in as a leader? I know we need leaders. Could I step in as a leader? And in that process, maybe you just keep moving forward in your relationship with Christ. And some of you, I don't know, probably not a ton of you, but maybe some of you came in today and this is the first time you've been back in church for three years. Maybe three years ago something happened, I don't know what. Maybe you're not even sure exactly what happened, but you got offended or wounded or hurt and you said, I'm done with that. And then you were away for a while and you realized that you had a hole somewhere in your heart and you missed it. And so you said, I'm, I'm going to come back and try it one more time. Maybe this is your first day back in church for 15 years. And you got away and you missed it. And you go, God, i got to get back. And so you came today. And you might think, I will never get to the spot that I used to be at when I was following Jesus. I'll never be like that. I'll never be able to pray like I used to or read the scripture or understand it like I used to. I've never, I'll never be able to serve like I once did because I've got all this guilt over these last 15 years. But do you know what they say about riding a bike? You, they say you never, you never forget how to ride it. I think if you have been away from Jesus and you decide to come back to him, you'll be amazed at how much you remember about praying and how much you remember about reading the scriptures. And when you get some of these stories into your, under your belt again, you go, oh, I remember that story. I used to love that story. <gasps> I love it again. And when you get involved in the church family, you realize it's still made of people. And hurts happen. But maybe you look around this time and you go, I'm not going to stop connecting. Because that connection is my only way to keep moving forward. And to keep moving forward is the only way not to fall off. Jesus, I pray for us today for this. I want us to keep moving forward. And Lord, I know that that's your heart for us. You want us to keep moving forward with you. And I know that with this many people in the room, there are this many different ways that you want to connect with us. There are this many different ways that you want us to keep moving forward. So Lord, I don't even know specifically how to pray for every single person in the room but you pray to the Father, you know exactly what to pray for. So, Lord, I pray for everyone in the house today. I pray for everyone who may listen to this online later on. I pray for every one of us that we would get on the bike. There are some that haven't even gotten on the bike at all, Lord. They're not even followers of yours. Maybe, they're, maybe this is their day to say, Jesus, I'm in today. I'm starting today. I'm following you. 
And Lord, wherever we are in that journey with you, would you just go forward with us? We love you. We want to love you more. We serve you. We want to serve you better. Lord, thank you. Today, here, Lord, we have an offering for you. Uh, we give this as an act of generosity. We give this as part of that craft of a well-crafted life. So receive our offerings today. Be honored among us today. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Amen.